Welcome to the Enterprise GTM Podcast, hosted by Tim Zonka and Vidya Raman. Each episode takes a deep dive into how to successfully maneuver the unique dynamics of enterprise go-to-market while candidly discussing successful approaches, pitfalls, and failures alike. Our guests are seasoned company founders, GTM execs, technology buyers, and end users. Please note that the views expressed by individuals in these podcasts are not to be treated as investment advice. They are also not representing the views of their employers, current or previous. So welcome to yet another episode of the Enterprise GTM podcast. Today, Tim and I are delighted to have two amazing folks on this podcast. Nadine Farah is the head of developer relations at One House, and Tao Hansen is the head of developer relations at Garden. As a quick refresher, this podcast is meant for founders of early stage startups. And in this particular episode, we focus on all things developer relations and developer advocacy. Now, this turns out to be one of those roles which is pretty enigmatic, quite confusing often for founders who haven't hired for this role before. So we seek to demystify this role, what works and what doesn't, with a couple of experts in this space. So with that, we'll turn it over to Nadine first, followed by Tao. Nadine, would you mind sharing with us a little bit about your background, your current role at One House? Yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm Nadine, and I'm leading One House's developer initiative. I'm also a Pachi Hoodie contributor. I'm passionate about bridging engineering, product, and marketing to help drive developer adoption or product adoption. Prior to One House, I was leading Rockset's developer initiatives, focusing on building technical content around real-time analytics. And prior to that, I was at Bose, working with all sorts of developers, building spatial audio. And I also worked on the watchOS SDK as well and different partners with integrations around the iOS SDK or watchOS SDK. I've been doing DevRel for a while now, probably close to eight years, and I also have previous experience of doing like some back-end engineering work as well. So much of my experience has been either in connected or IoT products or somewhere around the data database space. That is awesome. Amazing breadth of experience. Thank you, Nadine. Share with us your background too and a little bit about your current role at Garden. My background is I came from an arts background. I graduated with a Master of Fine Arts from a, a Danish arts university. And I was sort of tooling around with in the art scene, making short movies. But I've always been very passionate about Linux and open source software since I was a teenager. I ended up leaning on my hobby interest, and that became my world. I've been at all sorts of little startups, scale-ups, including a financial services company. I worked at a startup called Molecular Quantum Solutions, which was a lot of fun. I'm most passionate about open source software and empowering developers. I actually came to Garden because we were trialing Garden as a developer tool at a company called Family. And I just immediately fell in love with it. Also the team, the team is just the most friendly bunch of folks you'll ever meet. And so I reached out to them and I asked, I have a crazy idea for you. What do you think about me joining your team? I've never done DevRel before, but I have this weird arts background and I've done some journalism in the past. Is 
is that something that might fit? And they decided to take a chance on me. So here I am. Can I, I know we have like some questions we've all kind of shared beforehand, but I want to dig into something you just said, Tao, and then Nadine, get your take on this too, is I worked at a company called Puppet, which had a, a really strong kind of community and kind of DevRel and Dev advocacy, depending on the, the term you use for it. And one of the things I found is the best kind of developer relations folks have something that I just heard in what you said, Tao, like this, just not only this love for technology, but there's something about connecting to other people with it. You know, you shared a little bit about you had a passion for Linux, but can you go back to like, when did that passion for tech first start getting connected to other people? And then Nadine, I'd love to hear, you know, early days version of where these like two worlds, it seems so fundamentally important for like what you do as someone who's connecting people to tech. When did those two things first, or maybe not first, but like what was something formative that really ignited that spark? Hmm. I think it just came from observing the people on my team, specifically the developers. I mean, I think that DevRel is is a particularly compassionate job in the sense that you really need to like observe the frustrations of developers in order to understand how to best bridge to them. I mean, I'm an open source user myself of all sorts of tools. And when I'm developing, I want it to be as friction-free, joyful process as possible. And so when I was at one of my previous companies, I was the first one as a DevOps engineer to actually go sit with the developers and ask them what their greatest frustration was working with our set of tools at the company because my mandate was to improve or reduce the friction, right? Mm -hmm. And it's just reaching across the aisle and saying, what bugs you and how can we make your experience a joyful one and not a frustrating one? Yeah. Nadine, do you have any kind of formative experience or aha moment like that? Yeah, I do. So a while ago, I was at a small firm in San Francisco called Punch Through. Punch Through focused on building connected products. They had an open source project called the Light Blue Gleam, which is a hardware BLE module, Bluetooth low energy module. When I got hired to work at Punch Through, I was kind of mosing between working a little bit on the software iOS side, but also running the open source hardware, introducing the light blue beam to a lot of different communities as well, because it was an open source project. And at that time, I don't quote me, I think it was like 2015 or maybe 2016. It was a while ago. But at that time, there was no concept around DevRel. It was just more like, oh, I'm this and I'm also running this. I think DevRel came maybe around that time. We're starting to build up. But at that time, it was more, how do you get someone started on such a complicated thing? Or how do you, you know, use Arduino to program it? Or how do I send messages and connect it to my iOS app that I'm building on my phone or whatever? And it's this sense of like helping or getting people onboarded with the product or helping them build their prototype is what ignited this connection. It wasn't, oh, I'm going to do DevRel. It just kind of happened to fall into it. And then from there, you know, this nomenclature of DevRel started to come up and they're like, okay, I think this is what I like. I like bridging a little bit between engineering product and going out to communities and doing some marketing around that. And that's kind of how I fell into it. And that's how I started aligning myself that these are my interests. So that's how it came about for me. 
Cool. Thanks. Thanks to you two for kind of starting there and kind of veering off a little bit. I think it's just powerful to hear where, where some of those early sparks came from. Yeah, and it's also interesting that both of you are extremely passionate about bridging the gap between the users and the product and, and really helping make sure that the users are successful here. So from that point of view, just curious to know your perspectives on what do you think is generally a good time for a startup founder to start thinking about a hiring for a developer advocacy rule? Do you want to start with that, Nadine? Yeah, I've worked at both open source and closed source projects, and I think there's, in my opinion, they might be slightly different in, in how you want to get started and thinking about a DevRel position. And I'll start with open source. Usually with open source, if you have an MVP of something that you want people to either contribute or use, and you're going to get started on that, you can have someone in DevRel a lot faster and sooner with that because there's so much to do to get product feedback, start this conversation, improving the features or the bugs and listening to other features that they want. And you can have this data early on with open source. And so as soon as there's some MVP and there's you sharing to onboard users, you're having your contributors, this is a really good time to bring on a DevRel person. Now for closed source, in my opinion, once you have customers, so closed source, there's no one can contribute to the code. The best thing you can probably do is get product feature requests or understand where scaling is hitting limitations and in that essence. And in this case, like with closed source, once you have customers, maybe you're ending a series A, beginning a series B, and you want to rally around this, this is probably a good time to hire someone in DevRel. Anything before that, I think there'll be a lot of sticky points around that. So it sounds like you have to have a product at a minimum, but maybe you want to take it to the next level in terms of adoption. And those may be good times when you want to actually engage the community more, solicit more feedback and feed that back into the product and product roadmap. Your point of view on that, Tao, have you seen times when it is appropriate to hire a DevRel, maybe times which it has been too early or too late? So I was going to say, let's say, you know, for open source, you have a DevRel who's also a strong backend engineer or a strong contributor to the project, then it might make sense to have them early on as you're building the project and helping them rally the community if they're a contributor to the project, as opposed to being a non-contributor or non-committer or non-PMC member, and then onboarding it. So there's different ways you can play about it in terms of how you bring on DevRel with an open source project. But for closed source, I when you're trying to get product feedback and understand their customers, help them with some stuff, I would say probably towards mid or later series A into series B would be a good time to bring someone in. That makes sense. Tao, you see anything different there or does that kind of jive with what your experience is? I don't think I have enough experience to give an honest opinion because I haven't been through many companies as a developer advocate. Okay. I'm curious to know from the two of you, Nadine, for example, you mentioned bringing people on board, bringing people on board or other just functions in the company. Talk a little bit about what critical functions you need support from within the organizations to make you and you know your teammates successful. Yeah, I think this goes back to 
a lot of things that I kind of dabble into. So either engineering product or marketing, but more particularly, probably a lot more on the engineering and marketing side that someone in DevRel would need some support on, especially if they're getting onboarded to the open source project or the closed source project to understand the different intricacies of how certain things are working. So much of my time in, in this has been spent around the database, data space, lake house space, real-time analytics, anything around databases is probably where I've been in for most of my time. So in this case, when you're talking about like different sources, you can just how you can configure those sources nuances between how indexing is working or how you want to use indexing around certain things or optimization or scaling. This is where you might lean a little bit on the engineering side to help because they're the implementators, right? They understand the internals very well. And so you might want to lean on them on a lot of this enablement side for the engineering side in order to help the users a lot more faster and also to scale their efforts. So in the beginning, when you're onboarding with DevRel, let's say you hire someone and they're awesome, it's going to require, and probably depending on where they're at in their journey and tech, it might require one to three months to onboard them where they might need a little bit more engineering sources. They might need more onboarding stuff. You might have to create assets for them to, to enable that enablement. But that time that you're investing more engineering resources to your DevRel, with after that, that will be scaled out where engineering now can focus on building their products and less focused about the users or other things that mm-hmm. might be a distraction. So it might be slow in the beginning, but I guarantee you it will be a lot faster after that. And then that person, that DevRel person can help onboard marketing, can help onboard people in product, can help onboard other team members that they hire for DevRel and things like that. So just be, I would just say, like, if you're thinking about DevRel, it's good to invest resources in the beginning. But then after that, that starts to scale itself out a lot faster. With marketing, a lot of the stuff that I might do with marketing, let's say with Apache Hootie, for example, is I might build these awesome cards or feature people or build these assets. A lot of times when I think about building assets, I think about how can I reuse them? And how can I make quick assets? So I know how to use you know, Adobe Premiere and Adobe Illustrator and, and things like that. But maybe if I need to create net new assets, I might require some resources. But after that, that's scaled out. I don't need that anymore because I can edit and do stuff by myself. So that makes sense. I, yeah, for net new stuff and onboarding, you will need resources. But after that, it begins to scale itself out. So I would think, I would say in terms of resources, think about that time investment in the beginning and how something can be reused, whether you're reusing material for onboarding or reusing stuff or recordings. A lot of times I would record engineers, like our engineers saying like how clustering works and stuff, but that recording is saved on the drive and anyone else who wants to know about it has it available, has that like educational resource available for them. So that's scalable. So this is how you want to think when you're thinking about resources is also scaling them out. That makes sense. Todd, what about you? Who do you lean on the most to make sure that the dev advocacy function is as successful as you envision it being? I'm blessed to work with our head of content, who's just, I call us a power team at the company. I don't think that, I don't think I would be able to do my job as effectively without her. I think that goes both ways. I think we lean on each other a lot. I think she leans on me for technical expertise and I lean on her for her eye for SEO, for what sort of topics we should be we should be approaching and writing and making videos about. But it's a really it's a it's an integrated effort, having said that, between all parts of the company. So I think this is kind of where DevOps comes into play as a practice. I've been a banner bearer for it for many years now. And I think a company's culture, if a company's culture is not 
prepared to do that kind of cross-functional work that's required, then your DevRel team is going to have a lot of difficulty because DevRel really needs to be able to reach out to product and to work with the OSS engineers as is the case with Garden, I need to feel like the community is being heard and is being responded to with technical fixes, feature requests, things like that. And what about, in my experience, especially at Puppet, where I was there long enough to see, you know, as the industry evolved, as our community evolved, and then frankly, even the team is the team that was kind of closest to, and I think held the most ownership and responsibility for engaging with our community and and perpetuating what we found to be most important collectively with them. They switched departments, their budgets would ebb and flow. Sometimes it was actually their budget. Sometimes it was a marketing budget. Sometimes they're scurrying around with like a tin can asking for help from engineers or what have you. So I'd love to hear from the two of you. What advice do you have for founders as they're starting to build or, or scale out? Like, how do they think about resourcing from a people perspective? You know, like, People's time, you know, it's not it's not free. Someone's got a is oftentimes taking away from some other thing they're supposed to be doing. And then dollars, like where do you, you know, what kind of dollars do you suggest they use in what sort of way and, and where do you see that easiest to come from? Like departmentally, you know, like is it something that comes from a DevRel budget to begin with, or is it usually marketing or product? So I'd love to hear your your guidance on, especially as people are forming, you know, this sort of practice in a younger company. Any advice you have around that? Maybe Nadine. Love to hear your take first. Yeah. So your first question was around, can you repeat the first? You had like well, two I think, questions. Yeah. I think the, the first one is is more around just kind of getting people's time and attention. If they're not, sometimes they bring on like one person and it's usually not just that person. They're, you know, they need to borrow people's time that are focused. So it's like, where do you prioritize that time? Where have you found it successful to do that? And then the second thing is, as you start to actually want money to put on events or you know, promotions or bringing people together or something, advice on the right way to think about budgeting? Yeah. So the first part in terms of resources to use, you definitely want to leverage people for their superpower. And each one that you hire, you can pretty much identify what their superpower is. So when you're thinking about hiring in terms of DevRel, you are, and let's say you're I'm going to talk about first-time hires. I think that makes more sense. Yeah. You usually want to hire someone who has a breadth of technical experience in the space that you're at so they can easily grasp materials, easily grasp things from engineering and put them together. And also someone who is a content creator who knows how to create different contents and who identifies with the personas that you are interested in bringing onto your product. And usually, you know, when you're hiring for DevRel, you're not going to have all, not all of them are going to be superpowers, but you're going to have some aspects of them that are superpowers and some aspects that are strong. That's going to be a good match for what you're looking for. And so in this sense, like when you're thinking about first time hires, my recommendation is to advocate for more of a technical hire who has breadth between engineering product marketing and has stronger technical skills. This will lead you very far in terms of bootstrapping DevRel in this case. And I would recommend, you know, looking at some of the things that they've built, the recommendations that come in, how they interacted with different communities. Are they a part of the different communities that you're interested in? All these play a factor into that. Now, when you're thinking in terms of budgeting and when you think about events and stuff, you're usually more often than not, if you're an early stage company, you're thinking about awareness. How do I make people aware of what I'm doing or how I'm differentiated between these other products and stuff like that? And I would say... Events don't need to be expensive. 
right? But you definitely want to take leverage when you can and you want to be able to reuse stuff or take leverage. So a lot of the times when I'm thinking about events, I'm actually looking with my network already that has some sort of sphere of influence. And I've already built these relationships for years, right? And so partnering with them and communities and getting leverage in that sense is really important to kind of cut costs, but also scale that awareness factor. Another really good thing to get awareness is conference talks. A lot of times, even this year, I'm submitting different conference talks for like Flink Forward and mm-hmm. Apache Con, Currents coming up. All of those talks I will be at giving specific like technical talks around that. And that's another great way to to build awareness. So if you, you want to be strategic and your ecosystem that you're focusing on, be very clear about what the purpose is and who's your persona that you want to target and where do they participate in, where do they hang out in? And that's one way to get awareness. In terms of like where budget comes from, usually it's when you're a small startup, there's no like, I don't know, maybe some people have spreadsheets, some people don't. Usually kind of ping someone, can I have sponsorship here or here? It's pretty flexible when you're early stage. But as you get bigger and you have to be, let's say you hire a chief revenue officer, a finance officer, whoever, then that kind of gets a little bit nitty gritty. But usually for open source, a lot of times I fall on a product and closed source, I might fall under marketing. I Or maybe if another team needs me for some other event, it might come out of their budget. It's pretty flexible, I think, depending on like what you're trying to do. It doesn't need to be expensive to do something or to raise that awareness. But if you can get leverage, that's the best way to think about uh, how to scale out in that way. Does that, that help? Does that yeah, help? it does. Yeah. Todd, what's your take? You know, like when you start scaffolding out resources, you know, beyond you, where do you start to pull from and, and what's that look like? You have to be really careful, I think. There's a lot of, I mean, I'm also trying to think of the trade-offs that product team is making in order to address let's say, needs that that I have from the community. Is that Um, what you mean by careful? Like that you're not taking away from product development or or something? Exactly, yeah. And thinking about what the bigger picture is for the company and how your fixes are addressing that or if they can wait or, you know, there's... So I'm I'm actually finding that I'm putting a lot of breaks on right now, my, my own requests, just because for, I think for the company as a whole, and, you know, we're a fairly small startup, that's where we're trying to be careful is engineers' times are so valuable. And I'm stepping in, like today, for example, I was working with our, our lead SRE. She's a rock star at this company. She said, oh, well, Tao, I was reading, I was reading something that you wrote about, you know, how we're small but mighty, right? And what that means as far as like dedicating resources. And she said, so I just did this myself, this new feature request. And, you know, she's the lead SRE. She has other yeah. things that she could be doing, but she's stepping into the trenches and and shipping this feature. And, and I, I helped test it today and together, like we shipped it and the docs that go with it. And, and that was the right move at that time. And that's going to be what we can market and sell. So right now in this market, I think it's really important to be very careful. I'd love to the two of you to talk a little bit more about that. Maybe, maybe it's not necessarily the being careful part, but what I hear, Tao, and what you said mirrors my experience at Puppet, which is there's always a tension between helping a user or base, engaging a community, and then you oftentimes have folks on the 
you know, the, the side of the house where they're like, but yeah, we're a company, we need to make money. I think the best, you know, especially the best developer community driven companies, you know, regard, especially if they're open source, like they figure out how to balance that. So I'd love to hear the two of you, you know, talk about how have you experienced that tension in any guidance to founders on like, hey, get used to it. You got to kind of bake this tension into what you're doing if you want to succeed. Because I, at least I haven't seen any way of avoiding it. It's, it's really, you got to just get great at it. So what, what advice do you have? Do you, I mean, do you buy that? Do you have any advice around how to do it if, if you do buy it? I can probably take a stab at this one. And I think your question is around resources, right? And, and where you spend on product development versus having other people help with other parts of a community. Is that kind of yeah, I think it's resources. I mean, like Tao, I think you you nailed it. You have like this the example you gave, you have like this internal discipline and this internal awareness to saying like, well, I want this for my my specific job outcome, but it might not be right for the company at this time. It's hard to find people who have that like internal discipline. So as you scale, like how do you kind of balance the, you know, the folks on the side of the company that are like, hey, look, we just need to make, make money. And then the people are like, well, in order to do that, we need to do a bunch of stuff that looks like it's for free to a growing community. I think in my case, what I do is I actually set up one-on-ones with various people throughout different parts of the organization for either 30 minutes or an hour. And we and because I touch a lot between engineering, marketing, and product, it makes sense to have these one-on-ones. And so a lot of times, if something that I'm doing might slow them down a little bit, I already have that time allocated already to have that one-on-one. So I make sure I make use of that time. Or if that time is short, then I can run something really quickly by them to get their feedback. So actually, in my case, I purposely allocate time with specific key stakeholders, either on a weekly or bi-weekly or maybe monthly basis, and can use that time that I see fit. Because a lot of times, one org might be running this way, another org might be running this way, you're trying to figure out how people are running. And so I would recommend allocating time, be mindful of the time, but allocating at least time with key stakeholders for this part of the thing. And that's how I, I leverage time in that case of resources. That's great. Ty, what about you? You know, outside your internal discipline and awareness, like it's, it can't be that easy. Well, I don't know if this is the right answer, but Daniel Daniel Bryan, he's he's a big personality in the DevRel sphere. He was interviewing a company and the company said, we don't have these teams. We have a revenue team. And I thought that was, it really stuck with me, honestly, because I, I, I feel like I'm so often trying to justify my contribution to the bottom line. But I think it's something that I'm thinking a lot more about lately. So in the sense that when I'm interacting with our community, then it's not a budget thing. It's not an immediate money thing. I know that I'm giving my time to folks who are in the community and they're going to come back to their companies and they're going to talk to them about us and what a community it is. And they're going to spread awareness on Reddit and Hacker News and what, what have you. But when I'm thinking about which features to prioritize, then I am thinking more revenue minded and more, yeah, I'm more willing to take a step back, but I'm not sure that I have like the one answer on which way to go. It's very right now, especially it's just very case by case. Yes, that makes sense. So I think this is a useful segue into so measurement. Because I, I can't help but hear that in, in what both of you are saying uh, a little bit, but especially you there, Tao. So 
how do you, I guess there's two things that I'd love to hear from you if you want to tackle both, or if you just have like a center of gravity toward one or the other is how do you just measure success of your, like a, a growing healthy community? And then are there any other metrics that you, you feel like you need to either track or attempt to track to say, well, and it's contributing to the health of, of the business? Well, I would say, so we do, we do track our discord. I, I mean, insofar as we're tracking its growth. I would say it's a healthy community when people are interacting in a, positively. I mean, they're, they're interacting positively about the product. Maybe they're, maybe they're having a frustration, but they know that you have their back. <laughs> I would say that's the sign of a healthy community from our corner of the internet. I would say I would even expand the community definition to our champions as as customers. So we have customers, but then we have champions within um, those orgs that make up our customer base. And we have some champions that just are deeply passionate about garden and like disseminating garden throughout the organization. And so that is a sign of health to me if they feel like they can come and they said, look, you know, most recently there's, so our windows, we have a contingent of like windows users and companies that use windows. Our champion at this company, he said, look, I can get another 40 engineers to join and to start using garden, but I can only do it if I feel like garden as a company is taking care of these pain points. Can you help me? And so, you know, I can make an immediate business case there for greater involvement and like even targeted initiatives that solve their pain points as a family. Yeah, I love that that story associated with it. What about you, Nadine? I mean, you know, metrics that you track or? Yeah, I think I have. Yeah. So for metrics, when you're a young, early stage startup, you're actually probably looking for awareness and growth. But as you like gauge towards like a series C and on, the metrics will change and it might not be focused on what you are an early startup. So in my case, since I'm in an early startup, a lot of my metrics are focused on growth and awareness. So something that I might track is how many Slack users are onboarding every week or how many GitHub stars since I'm on an open source project do we have? Or maybe how many communities I'm interacting with to build this relationship and to build this leverage again. Other things that I might look at is content awareness. You know, how many blogs are we getting? What are the page sessions looking like? How many views we're getting? Is it resonating with the audience? And also for awareness, it's I have talks. Talks help scale that out. We can repurpose that talk for a blog or something else. Another things that I might focus on is like how many people are contributing to the product. You know, you have users that use the product and then you also have contributors. How many PRs are getting merged? Things like this. So we're tracking growth from both users and contributors side as well. Mm -hmm. And we're also tracking this awareness. So a lot of my stuff is focused on that. And since I'm an early stage startup, and basically what we're trying to do is to trying to understand what is stabilizing. How, is this number stabilizing every month? You need you maybe need to track this for three or four months, understand what the average numbers are. And then you need to come up with the strategy, which I currently am working on and have it in review and stuff, of how to grow these metrics. And so you might try the strategy for two or three months. Are we getting a five or 10% increase? What's the increase off? Is it working? What do we need to adjust? 
Because a lot of times when you're working with communities, each community is different. It's not going to be like copy and paste every time. The personas are different. The culture is different. Everything is different. So you want to find things that resonate with the community. And you might have to kind of tweak things in and out as you until you start seeing some growth. And usually like 5 or 10% growth month after month is a pretty good number from my past yeah. experience. And so if you're getting those types of growth, then you're probably on a really, really good track for a sustainable amount of growth as well. I love how you talk about the difference between just kind of contributor versus broader, either user or just kind of the, the broader community. I think having that level of fidelity is useful to know, you know, are all the things working? Do you need to focus on one or the other? If you see a divergence, is that okay? Can it still support your business model? Yeah, th- I think that's that's great to hear. What about any big, you know, especially that the, the two you have such experience being early in DevRel or advocacy within your organizations, have you had to combat any common like misperceptions or just myths about, you know, what it is or, or what it isn't that you want to kind of let other founders know like, hey, when you're going to start to do this or as you start to grow, like know that it means A, not B. I'd love to hear about that. I think for me, a lot of times when I'm working with closed source products, they're unfamiliar about the whole developer relations aspect, or maybe it's more on the lines of like product marketing, or you should be doing this. So they're trying to figure out how to leverage you to get this growth and stuff. Usually for open source projects, it's intuitive. Like a lot of people are contributing to the community. It's already built into this essence of open source, but for the closed source, it's not like that. Usually founders are like, oh, I just want to close source this and get, get revenue and start doing this. But when they hire DevRel, it's like, wait, how do I use this person? They're not quite engineering. They're not quite marketing. They're not quite product. Where do they fit in? And so there's a lot of this stumbling. So a lot of times, like in the first year, I might switch from doing a lot of different stuff until there's this like stabilization mode. Yeah. Okay, this works. This is working. We're having a lot of signups. There might be this like awkward, if I'm being really honest, there might be this awkward year where you're trying to figure out what works for this company and how to use that person and to create leverage. And if you're finding yourself like something's not working, keep trying to see what aspects impacts the business and then you can leverage them for these things as as one thing. But one thing that doesn't fail is content, any type of content. Like nowadays, content games have to be strong. And a lot of times, a lot of people are like, copying and pasting content, like same thing, different ways. And so you want to be able to be thoughtful and how new and content is and how innovative it is, or maybe you're explaining something in a different way that no one thought of. So I think content moving forward will be to really get the the views, like there's different types of content you can create from spicier content to architecture content to how-to contents and things like that. So I would say leveraging DevRel for like really good content and thoughtful content is one of the best ways to get started and then tweaking the way through other avenues to see what fits and what yeah. doesn't fit for the business. It, it, just to chime in on that before, Tal, we get your take on any kind of misconceptions or myths is you said two things, Nadine, that's really resonated with me at my, you know, from my time at Puppet and just other companies that were also more actually more closed sourced is I think you're right. Content is kind of king and queen especially closed sources. Like I've been in so many conversations where is the company wants more adoption. Like, well, let's just open source some piece of it. <laughs> open source isn't easy. Like, they're not like, that's not like the easy button. It just like fix they're you know, trying, some adoption. Yeah. Yeah. They're trying You're, to build a community and they're a little, they'll be like, Oh, we should open source this. Yeah. I've, I've encountered some of this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think content tends to be one of the greatest ways to say like, Hey, this is where we'll achieve some of those kind of engagement goals. Tal, what about you? Other uh, common misconceptions, myths? 
Yeah, I don't know if there were so many sort of misconceptions or or miss at Garden about the role, but I do think there was like a a shared struggle of discovering just you know what fit. <laughs> when I first started, we were just sending me to every conference, right, and we weren't really seeing a lot of return on that because I mean I also don't think we weren't being very clever about it right we were just going we were just showing up I was just showing up to these conferences just like hello and then you try and find some way to connect with random showgoers right but that I think so it was just it was an early sort of naive stage of discovery that we were all engaged in. And now we're like all a little wiser and we're picking our conferences smarter and making sure that like we if we're going to be there we have a talk or we have a booth or we have some way to really engage we have interviews with guests there that we republish as tweets so we're looking at ways that we can like pull value out of this thing and then bring it out for the purpose of awareness yeah that makes sense I like the just the smartness on on conferences. I think that's like an important thing to to zero in on. Before we ask a final wrap up question or two, I've I've one more that I want to ask you, which is like either you tell me about a time when you tried something and you're just like, I'll never do that again. There's so many. <laughs> <I don't> <laughs> <know>. <laughs> so specifically in the DevRel space. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would almost say that it's like playing to your strengths. Nadine spoke earlier about superpowers, right? And like identifying superpowers. I would say that my weakness is video content, you know, and video is really powerful, but I just That don't... surprises me that you have a video background. I, I know, I know. And I'm like, I'm not that great at it, you know? <laughs> but it's not to say that I can't be better and I'm not sure if it's going to be something that I say I'm never doing it again. I don't think that's the case. I think Garden very much wants me to produce more video, but it's just that choosing your strengths around what you know is your your weaknesses, I think is a place like for example, we were doing these very very polished videos when I was first joining and they took so much time to produce. And now we're looking at maybe doing more sort of loom style, like off the cuff kinds of things, because maybe that like high pressure to produce something, it comes off as maybe not genuine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Nadine? I would echo being video is a lot. I remember my first video that I did at Rockset, like it was like a five minute spiel video, took like two or three days to make to me. And it was, it was awesome. And then that was really fun. I think one thing that I would not do is to attend like all the events and go to everything that's not related to my ecosystem because that is not a good leverage on time. For example, my space has been in connected products and databases, meaning that I should probably not attend front end frameworks or things like that because I will never use them in my day to day. It's usually a lot different. So I think for me, it's strategizing time and being more mindful of where I spend my time and my resources in that essence. So earlier days would be like, yeah, let's go to all of this. Now I'm like, no, no, no. I have to be very is, careful yeah. about the conferences and the events that I attend to, to make sure they have impact and they're also scalable as well. I think that's great advice. It, and it's hard to have that discipline because like, we should show up here and we into the more places we're at, we'll just be in more places. And I, I think it's great to hear that from both of you. So to wrap up, I'd love to get 30 seconds or so from each of you. Just imagine you got pinged from a founder or co-founder of this really killer new open source product or project. 
interested in DevRel, what would be the key set of advice you'd give him or her? For me, one of my first advice would be is to hire, and they're hiring for a first DevRel, is that correct? Is that the, Mm -hmm. yeah, I would go back to what I earlier say, someone who has depth in some technical, they might not be like deeply technical as like your engineers or PMC members or committers, but they have some level of depth that they'll be able to pick up really fast. So technical skills is a must and someone who's a content creator. And so something when you're testing for DevRel is you want to test about how they think about content, how they approach titles, how well are they in tune with the sphere, because that will tell you how fast it will take for them to onboard. I think that's really important. That would be my two like recommendations that I would fall strongly on if you're looking for a first-time hire. That's great, especially the notion of like how they think about titles. That's such like it slipped in through there, but like that's a powerful piece of advice. Or outline. Like can you yeah, like, that's it, great. Tell, it tells you like if you create content, it comes like this. So you know they're familiar and, and yeah, they're with the space as that. well. And that's something like at one house that we do. I actually had my first interview with Vinoth on this. And I didn't even know what a content round was until I had one with him because I've never had it in my life. And I was like, okay, I could see why this part of the interview is really important because that's actually all that I'm doing yeah. amongst other things. So it was a, it was fun, but it's, it's a fun round, but it's also a very insightful round as well. Tao, you're with Founder. What do you got to suggest? I'd agree. I think that your first DevRel hire should definitely be technical. And I was lucky to have come from SRE and DevOps. So the other thing that I would look for is, do they have a keen eye for developer empathy? You can test that, especially if you're interviewing them. You can say, tell me about a time when when you reached out to uh, to a developer and you did, or you were interacting with the community. Give me your best interaction moment from that's a great yeah that's a that's a, a, a also a really kind of powerful nugget is you know especially that phrasing tell me about a time when you did this thing reach out to a developer engage with the community good advice it's been awesome to get a chance to learn from both of you and connect with both of you vidya has been quieter today since she had some tech troubles but i know she thanks you as well so we appreciate your time. We appreciate your guidance and your your advice, especially to all those listening. And hopefully they'll pick up on some of those, I think, really powerful nuggets that you shared with us all. So thank you. And to all the listeners, thanks for, again for joining. It was good to have another session with all of you. Thank you. Great. Thanks for this. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Enterprise GTM Podcast. Subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on your favorite podcast platform so we can continue to help enterprise founders thrive.